all you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Rays. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darnetta has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, Star Wars family? How is everyone doing today? I hope everybody is doing good. There's nothing really new on my side of the galaxy. You know, same old stuff, work family. So let's get right into some Star Wars. And you know what we're going to start with? Yep, the Mandalorian. One of the things that has bothered me about season two, well, not so much the season itself. You know, that's not what's bothering me. I love the season. I think every episode's been great. But the people that are talking about the season on Facebook, everyone says the episode 10 was a waste of time. It's called building up a storyline. Plus, they revealed a character from the Rebels, the giant spider. Man, the giant spiders are important. It makes me so mad when people complain about the creative process. You don't know why they put that in there. What if they go back to that planet in seven? You need to know about the planet. Okay, okay, let's talk about the episode. And if you haven't seen the episode yet, what the heck are you waiting on? I woke up at one o'clock in the morning on Friday to watch it. So I don't want to hear from anyone, oh, you spoiled it for me. I hadn't seen it yet. That's your fault. Why are you wasting time? Go watch it. It's good. We have already started the next week and you haven't watched something that came out last week. That's your problem. That's your fault. But this week's episode was packed full of stuff. Now, it was only a quick 32-minute episode. It wasn't that long. So much stuff happened in a very short time. It had me like, oh, man, this is a lot of stuff. There was a reveal, a fan favorite, Bo-Katan, who was on the animated series, The Clone Wars and Rebels. Also, there was a giant sea creature that crushed Baby Yoda's carrier, which was super duper sad. I was really upset. I thought Baby Yoda was gone, but he's not. He's okay. He, He made it out. But one of the biggest reveals was the Imperial Cruiser and the Stormtroopers. These were not the Stormtroopers from last season. Their uniforms were clean and they were looking good. This was like a complete opposite of what we saw in the first season. When them Stormtroopers, they was dusty and dirty and they uniforms looked like they was like 50 years old. They, yeah, they looked bad. But these differences got me thinking, what is going on with the Empire now? Now think about it, the Mandalorian is set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. So some time has passed. The Empire had already been defeated for a while now. A transition from power, none of that has been done yet. It hasn't been established. It's a wonderful time to be a Star Wars show like The Mandalorian because the galaxy is full of drama. You got feuding criminal overlords fighting over control of the underworld. Plus those loyal to the Empire are still there and you got the rebellion continuing with their faith and trying to get things set up. It's believable that five years after the destruction of the second Death Star, that some planets might not even know that the war is over. But one thing is very clear. The client was loyal to the Empire, the dude that was trying to get Baby Yoda in the first season. But maybe he didn't have no money and he was somewhat on his own. Then towards the end of season one, you got Moff Gideon. He shows up commanding a much larger force. If you recall, he was flanked by death troopers on each side of him. They're described as like the Navy SEAL 16, you know, like the top dogs. So where is his money coming from? But it seems like he is trying to rebuild the empire, not just, you know, fight a little battle or trying to control. He's trying to rebuild the empire, like his endless pursuit of Baby Yoda. Then they revealed Ahsoka Tano will be in some of the future episodes. When Bo-Katan tells Mando to take the child, that kind of got everybody in up or everybody was happy. This opened up a fleet of direction that the show could go. But I can tell you one thing, as far as a fan of The Mandalorian, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Can't wait till Friday. Okay, that took way longer than I wanted it to. So let's get right into chapter six. Fasira's yellow sun was directly overhead, beaming down across the lush valley and over the jungle camp where Des and his fellow Sith troopers waited. 
Beneath the shelter of a Sidera tree, Des ran a quick system check on his TC-22 blaster rifle to pass the time. The power pack was fully charged, good for 50 shots. His backup power pack checked out too. The aim was off just slightly. A common problem with all TC models. They had good range and power, but over time their scopes could lose precise calibration. A quick adjustment brought it back into line. His hands moved with a quick confidence born of a thousand repetitions. Over the past twelve months, he'd gone through the routine so many times, he barely even had to think about it anymore. A pre-battle weapons check wasn't standard practice in the Sith militia, but it was a habit he'd gotten into, one that had saved his life on several occasions. The Sith army was growing so fast that supply couldn't keep up with demand. The best equipment was reserved for veterans and officers, while new recruits were forced to make do with whatever was available. Now that he was a sergeant, he could have requested a better model, but the TC-22 was the first weapon he'd learned to fire, and he'd become pretty good with it. Des figured a little routine maintenance was a better option than learning to master the subtle nuances of another weapon. His blaster pistol, however, was top of the line. Not all Sith troopers were given pistols. For most soldiers, a medium-range, semi-repeating rifle was weapon enough. They'd probably be dead long before they ever got close enough to their enemy to use a pistol. But in the past year, Dez had proven a dozen times over that he was more than just turret fodder. Soldiers good enough to survive the initial rush and get in tight to the enemy ranks needed a weapon more suited to close quarters fighting. For Dez, that weapon was the GSI-21D, the finest disruptor pistol manufactured by Galactic Solutions Industries. Optimum range was only 20 meters, but within that distance, it was capable of disintegrating armor, flesh, and droid plating with equal efficiency. The 21D was illegal in most Republic-controlled sectors of the galaxy, a testament to its awesome destructive potential. The Disruptor's power pack carried only enough charge for a dozen shots. But when he was eye-to-eye -eye with an opponent, it rarely took more than one. He slid the pistol into the holster clipped to his belt, checked the vibroblade in his boot, and turned his attention to his troops. All around him, the men and women of his unit were following his lead, making similar inspections of their own equipment as they waited for the orders. He couldn't help but smile. He'd trained them well. Okay, so I guess Drew didn't think it was important to tell us about him signing up for the Sith and the stuff he had to go through because he skipped that whole part and went right into the point of him being at war. So when he starts this chapter, Daz is checking over his weapon before they head off to their next assignment. Daz's rifle has a slight malfunction that needs to be fixed. His sight is off a little bit. He knows that he can get a new rifle, but he thinks it would be a pain to have to learn another one. He can shoot this one real good, which makes a lot of sense. Stick with what you know. If you play baseball, don't try to go play hockey. Two different sports, stick with baseball. Now this is something that I wanted to point out. If you were just a mere soldier in the Sith army, you were given just a rifle. That's it, probably a repeating rifle, but that's all you got was a rifle. So if you had to fight up close, you had to figure it out. What did they call them? What did, what did Dez call them? Turret fire or something like that. That sounds like a back in the day Civil War type crap. Everyone would just take off running at each other and just shooting at each other and then whoever was left over was just the winner. You've seen them old war movies. They would just all stand in a line and shoot at each other, not hiding behind anything, not taking cover, just shooting at each other. 
Then after a few minutes, when like half of them are already dead, then they would run down at each other. That's some of the dumbest tactics I ever seen. All they had was a bayonet on the end of their gun. They just run and that's all, that was it. A bayonet's basically a knife that attaches to the end of your gun. But Daz had a blaster pistol. This is crazy. He had a GSI-21D disruptor pistol. The best you could get. It was outlawed by the Republic. It would, seriously, it would vaporize you at 20 meters away. Armor and all. Like, boom, just gone. If it were me, before I even thought about fighting in a battle, you was going to have to give me one of these blasters. But as he is looking over his blaster, he sees his troopers, and they're all doing the same thing. And he has a moment of pride. He knew that he had trained them well. He joined the Sith armies as a way to escape both prison and Apatros itself. But it hadn't taken him long to actually grow fond of the soldier's life. There was a camaraderie among the men and women who fought at his side. A bond that quickly extended to include Dez himself. He'd never felt any connection to the miners on Apatros, and indeed had always considered himself something of a loner. But in the military, he'd found his true place. He belonged here with the troops. His troops. Senior Trooper Adonar noticed his gaze and responded by thumping a closed fist lightly against his chest twice, just over his heart. It was a gesture known only to members of the unit. A private sign for loyalty and fidelity. A symbol of the bond they all shared. Des returned the gesture. He and Adonar had been in the same unit since day one of their military careers. The recruiter had signed them up together and assigned them both to the Gloomwalkers, Lieutenant Ulibor's unit. Adonar picked up his rifle and sauntered over to where his friend was sitting. You figure we're going to need that disruptor pistol of yours anytime soon, Sarge? No harm in being prepared, Des replied, whipping out the disruptor and giving it a spinning flourish before returning it to its holster. I wish they'd give us the go-ahead already, Adonar grumbled. We've been in position for two days now. How long are they going to wait? Des shrugged. We can't go until they're ready to move in with the main force. We go too early, and the plan falls apart. The Gloomwalkers had earned quite a reputation over the past year. They'd been in scores of battles on half a dozen worlds, and they'd tasted far more than their share of victories. They'd gone from being one of a thousand expendable frontline units to elite troops reserved for critical missions. Right now, they were the key to capturing the manufacturing world of Fasira, if someone would just give them the order to go. Until then, they were stuck in this jungle camp an hour's march away from their objective. They'd been here only a couple of days, but it was already beginning to take its toll. As we know, Dez joined the Sith to get away from prison and Apatros. I guess he thought joining the Sith was better than being someone's girlfriend. But by this time, he has grown fond of his life as a Sith trooper and of being in the war. He liked being in war. What? Who likes getting blown up and shot at? What's wrong with this guy, man? Come on, Dez, you got to be better than that. But he also had grown to like his fellow troopers. You better like them. They are the ones that is watching your back, keeping you from getting killed. It's important for you to have a good relationship for the guy that's standing behind you, keeping you from getting shot. But from the time that he had enlisted, he had been with a gloomwalker. I don't know where they came up with these names. No, I guess they are the Sith, so, you know, that would be kind of important to have a name that just struck fear. But over the last year, they had became a force to be reckoned with. Surviving and coming out on most of the battles on top has a lot to do with Dez's intuition, you know, the force working through him. But he had a good reputation with him and his fellow gloomwalker. 
But at this point, they are all getting impatient because of all of the waiting. What's wrong with these people? Why would you be in a hurry to go get your butt shot off? I don't get it. You're impatient to go fight in a war? What's wrong with you? Adonar began to pace. Dez sat calmly in the shade, watching him march back and forth. Don't wear yourself out, he said after a minute. We're not going anywhere until nightfall at the earliest. You might as well get comfortable. Ananar stopped pacing, but he didn't sit down. Lieutenant says this is going to be easy as a spice run, he said, trying to keep his voice casual. You figure he's right? Lieutenant Ulibor had received many accolades for the success of his troops, but everyone in the unit knew who was really in charge when the blaster bolt started flying. The fact had become painfully clear nearly a year before back on Kashyyyk, where Daz and Adonar had seen their first action. The Brotherhood of Darkness had tried to secure a foothold in the mid-rim by invading the system, sending in wave after wave of troops to capture the resource-rich homeworld of the Wookiees. But the planet was a Republic stronghold, and they weren't about to retreat, no matter how badly outnumbered. When the Sith fleet first landed, their enemies simply vanished into the forest. The invasion turned into a war of attrition, a long, drawn-out campaign fought among the branches of the Rosher trees high above the planet's surface. The Sith troopers weren't used to fighting in the treetops, and the thick foliage and Kashi vines of the forest canopy provided perfect cover for the Republic soldiers and their Wookiee guides to launch ambushes and guerrilla raids. Thousands upon thousands of the invaders were wiped out, most dying without even seeing the opponent who'd fired the fatal shot. But the Sith Masters just kept sending more troops in. The Gloomwalkers were part of the second wave of reinforcements. During their first battle, they were separated from the main lines, cut off from the rest of the army. Alone and surrounded by enemies, Lieutenant Ulibor panicked. Without direct orders, he had no idea what to do to keep his unit alive. Fortunately, Dez was there to step in and save their hides. For starters, he could sense the enemy even when he couldn't see them. Somehow he just knew where they were. He couldn't explain it, but he'd stopped trying to explain his unique talents long ago. Now he just tried to use them to his best advantage. With Dez as their guide... The Gloomwalkers were able to avoid the traps and ambushes as they slowly worked their way back to rejoin the main force. It took three days and nights, countless brief but deadly battles, and a seemingly endless march through enemy territory, but they made it. Through all the fighting, the unit lost only a handful of soldiers, and the troops who made it back knew they owed their lives to Dez. The story of the Gloomwalkers became a rallying point for the rest of the Sith army, raising morale that had become dangerously low. If a single unit could survive for three days on its own, they reasoned, then surely a thousand units could win the war. In the end, it took almost two thousand units. But Kashyyyk finally fell. As leader of the heroic Gloomwalkers, Lieutenant Ulibor was given a special commendation. He never bothered to mention that Daz was really the one responsible. Still, he'd been smart enough to promote Daz to sergeant, and he knew enough to stay out of the way when things got hot. 
Okay, so Lieutenant Ulibor is the guy that was in charge of the Gloomwalk, but he sounds like a scary punk. They can't decide anything without somebody holding his hand. His unit got separated from the main Sith Force, and this dude broke down like a scared little girl. So Dez had to step in and take over, and after three days of them marching in the jungle of Kashyyyk, dodging Republic and Wookiee blaster fire, they reconnected with the main Sith Force. The whole Sith Army was like, if they can do that, we can win this war. All they did is walk and survive. What's so big about that? Why would you be impressed by that? But they are. Then they gave Lieutenant Ulibor a promotion of some type. This punk didn't even tell them that Dez did all the work. I really don't like this Lieutenant Ulibor. I just don't like anybody that's gonna take credit for what somebody else did. It just, that irritates me. So, I don't know, repeat it. What's the word, Dez? When they finally give us the go, is this mission going to be a spice run? The lieutenant's just saying what he thinks we all want to hear. I know that, Des. That's why I'm talking to you. I want to know what we're really in for. Des thought about it for a few moments. They were holed up in the jungle on the edge of a narrow valley, the only route into Fasiro's capital city, where the Republic Army had set up its base camp. On a nearby hill overlooking the valley was a Republic outpost. If the Sith tried to move troops through the valley, even at night, the outpost was sure to spot them. They'd signal ahead to the base camp, so their defenses would be up and fully operational long before the enemy ever reached them. The Gloomwalker's mission was simple. Eliminate the outpost so the rest of the army could launch a surprise attack on the Republic base camp. They had interference boxes, short-range jamming equipment they could use to keep the outpost from transmitting a signal to warn the main camp, but they'd have to hit them fast. The outpost reported each day at dawn, and if the Gloomwalkers struck too soon, the Republic would realize something was wrong when the daily report didn't come in. The timing was critical. They'd have to take them out just before the main force entered the area. That would leave a few hours to cross the valley and catch the base camp unprepared. It was doable, but only if everything was coordinated perfectly. The Gloomwalkers were in place, but the main force wasn't ready to make its move yet. And so, they waited. I'm worried. Dez finally conceded. Taking that outpost won't be easy. Once we get the go-ahead, there's no margin for error. We have to be perfect. If they've got any surprises waiting for us, we could be in trouble. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Adonar spit on the ground. I knew it. You've got a bad feeling, don't you? This is his score all over again. His score had been a disaster. After Kashyyyk fell, the surviving Republic soldiers fled to the neighboring world of Trandosha. Twenty units of Sith troopers, including the Gloomwalkers, were sent in pursuit. They caught up to the Republic survivors on the desert plains outside the city of Hiskor. A day of savage fighting left many dead on both sides, but no definitive victor. Dez had been uneasy throughout the battle, though at the time he hadn't been able to say why. 
His unease had grown as night fell, and both sides retreated to opposite ends of the battlefield to regroup. The Trandoshans had struck a few hours later. The pitch-black night wasn't a problem for the reptilian Trandoshans. They could see into the infrared spectrum. They seemed to come out of nowhere, materializing from the darkness like a nightmare given substance. Unlike the Wookiees, the Trandoshans weren't allied with either side in the Galactic Civil War. The bounty hunters and mercenaries of Hiskor cut a swath of destruction through the ranks of Republic and Sith alike, not caring whom they fought, just as long as they came away with trophies from their kills. Details of the massacre were never officially released. Des had been at the very center of the carnage, and even he could barely piece together what had happened. The attack caught the Gloomwalkers, like every other unit, completely off guard. By the time the sun rose, nearly half the Sith troops had been cut down. Des lost a lot of friends in the slaughter. Friends he might have saved if he had paid more attention to the dark premonition he'd felt when he first set foot on that forsaken desert world. And he vowed he'd never let the Gloomwalkers get caught in a slaughter like that again. In the end, Hiskor paid a heavy price for the ambush. Reinforcements were sent in from Kashyyyk to overwhelm both the Republic forces and the Trandoshans. It took less than a week for the Sith to claim victory, and the once-proud city was sacked and razed to the ground. Many of the Trandoshans simply gave up the fight to defend their homes and offered their services to their conquerors. They were bounty hunters and mercenaries by trade and hunters by nature. They didn't care whom they were working for as long as there was a chance to do some more killing. Needless to say, the Sith had welcomed them with open arms. So their mission, as soon as they are given the all-go, was to take out a Republic lookout station. That's what they're waiting on. That way, the Sith army could surprise the Republic command post first thing in the morning. But they had to be perfect with their timing. Is there any time in war that you are perfect with your timing? You don't ever know what's going to happen. You might get shot in the face. You don't ever know what's going to happen. But anyway, Adonar asked Dez if he thinks that they're going to have any problems. When Dez says that they have to be perfect, that's when Adonar loses his mind. This dude goes nuts. He starts ranting about being in another mission like his core, also known as Trandosha, the homeworld of the reptile Trandoshans. But from the way it sounds, at first the Sith and the Republic army got their butts kicked by the Trandoshan. That's because the Trandoshans could see in the dark. Do you know how hard it would be to fight somebody that could see in the dark, especially when they attacked you at night? That would really suck. They can see you, you can't see them. Worst case scenario in a battle. But a lot of people on both sides died. Then the Sith sent help and the world was conquered. Then the Trandoshans joined the Sith army. They just wanted to kill people. They didn't care if they were killing the Republic, the Sith, as long as they got to kill people. I will put a link to the Trandoshans in the show notes if you want to learn more about them. Not everybody knows about the Trandoshans. They've been in some movies, some of the cartoons, so if you want to learn more about them, just click the link down in the show notes. This isn't going to be a repeat of his call. Des assured his nervous companion. It was true he had an uneasy feeling once again, but this time it was different. Something big was going to happen. But Des couldn't say for sure whether it would be good or bad. Come on, Des. Out on our press. Go talk to Ulabor. He listens to you sometimes. And tell him what? Adnar threw his hands up in exasperation. I don't know. 
Tell him about your bad feeling. Make him get on the comm to HQ and tell them to pull us back. Or convince them to send us in. Just don't leave us sitting out here like a bunch of dead womp rats rotting in the sun. Before Des could answer, one of the junior troopers, a young woman named Lucia, ran up and snapped off a crisp salute. Sergeant, Lieutenant Ulibar wants you to assemble the troops by his tent. He'll address them in 30 minutes, she said, her voice earnest and excited. Des flashed a smile at his friend. I think we finally got our orders. So Dez has a bad feeling about something. He knew that it was something big was about to happen. Adenar told him to go talk to Yulibor. Dez is like, what am I supposed to say? Adenar was like, tell him about your bad feeling. You know, he listens to you sometimes. He listens to me sometimes. That's not enough for me to go talk about it. But I can like literally see how the conversation would have went. Sir, I have a gut feeling something is about to happen. You do? That's because you probably got to take a crap. Try that first and then tell me if the feeling goes away and we'll talk about it some more. Get out of here. But before Dez could do anything, a young soldier runs up on them and salutes. Then she tells Dez that the lieutenant wants him to gather the troops in front of his tent. Dez looks at Adenar and says, I think we got our orders. And he says it, I think we got our orders, like almost like in a sexy tone. Now it's not what he says that I found funny, it's how he said it. All nonchalant and crap, I think we got our orders. How could you be calm when you're about to go into battle? Dude is crazy, something wrong with him. I've been saying this since the beginning, something's wrong with him. The soldiers stood at attention as the lieutenant and Des reviewed the troops. As it always did, the inspection consisted of Ulibor moving up and down the ranks, nodding and giving half-muttered approvals. It was mostly for show, a chance for Ulibor to feel as if he had something to do with the success of a mission. Once they were done, the lieutenant marched to the front of the column and turned to face the troops. Des stood alone in front of the unit, his back to them, so he could be face to face with his superior officer. Everyone here is familiar with our mission objective, Ulibor began, his voice unusually high-pitched and loud. Des guessed he was trying to sound authoritative, but he came across as shrill. I'll leave the specifics of the mission to the sergeant here, he continued. Our task is not an easy one. But the days of the Gloomwalkers getting easy jobs are long gone. I don't have much else to say. I know you're all as eager as I am to end this pointless waiting. That's why I'm happy to inform you that we've been given the order to move out. We hit the Republic outpost in one hour. Horrified gasps and loud whispers of disbelief rose up from the ranks. Ulibor steps back as if he'd been slapped. He'd obviously been expecting cheers and exultation, and was rattled by the sudden anger and lack of discipline. Gloomwalkers, hold! Des barked. He stepped up to the lieutenant and lowered his voice. Sir, are you certain those were the orders? Moving in one hour? Are you certain they didn't mean one hour after nightfall? Are you questioning me, sergeant? Ulibor snapped, making no attempt to keep his own voice down. No, sir. It's just that if we leave in one hour, it'll still be light out. They'll see us coming. By the time they see us, we'll already be close enough to jam their transmitters, the lieutenant countered. They won't be able to signal back to the base camp. It's not that, sir. It's the gunships. 
They've got three repulsor craft equipped with heavy repeating flash cannons. If we try to take out the outpost during the day, those things will mow us down from the sky. It's a suicide mission! Someone shouted out from the ranks. Wallabor's eyes became narrow slits and his face turned red. The main army is moving out at dusk, Sergeant. She said through tightly clenched teeth. They want to cross the valley in darkness and hit the Republic base camp at first light. Then there's no reason for us to move so soon, Des replied, struggling to remain calm. If they start at dusk, it's going to take at least three hours before they reach the valley from their current position. That gives us plenty of time to take the outpost down before they get here, even if we wait until after dark. It's obvious you don't understand what's really going on, Sergeant. Willibor spoke as if arguing with a stubborn child. The main force isn't going to start moving until after we report our mission is complete. That's why we have to move now. It made sense. The generals wouldn't want to risk the main force until they knew for certain the valley was secure. But sending them in during the light of day guaranteed that the Gloomwalker's casualty rate would increase fivefold. You have to come back to HQ and explain the situation to them, Des said. We can't take on those gunships in the air. We have to wait till they ground them for the night. You have to make them understand what we're up against. The lieutenant acted as if he hadn't even heard him. The generals give the orders to me, and I give them to you, he snapped. Not the other way around. The army is moving out at dusk, and that's not going to change to fit your schedule, Sergeant. They won't have to change their plans, Des insisted. If we leave as soon as it gets dark, we'll still have that outpost down by the time they reach the valley. But sending us in now is just enough, the lieutenant snapped. Quit braying like a bantha cut off from its herd. You have your orders, now follow them. Or do you want to see what happens to soldiers who defy their superior officers? Okay, wait a minute. Right here is where I figured out what the Republic commander was saying during the Sabat game. The Sith Lords don't care about anyone, not even their own soldiers. Basically, Eulabor just tells them that they are leaving in one hour. That means that they would be attacking the outpost during the day. Someone yells out it's going to be a suicide mission. Bet your butt it's going to be a suicide mission you attack them during the day. Death tells the lieutenant that they will be gunned down. They have airships that they ground at night, so they need to hit them when it's dark. So they can't see them, and they ain't got no airships. The lieutenant and Dez go back and forth for a few minutes. Dez understands why the Sith army wants them to attack now. But he also knows that they will fail if they do it during the day. Like, dude, we gotta wait till night. He tells the lieutenant to call them back and tell them the situation. They might not know about the gunships. Go call them, tell them. The lieutenant tells Dez that the generals give him the commands, then he gives the order to the troops, not the other way around. Dez tries his hardest to convince this dude, but the lieutenant stands his ground. He even insults Dez by calling him a crying bantha. This dude is tripping. Suddenly it was clear to Dez what was really going on. Ulibor knew the order was a mistake, but he was too scared to do anything about it. The order must have come directly from one of the Dark Lords. Ulibor would rather lead his troops into a slaughter than face the wrath of a Sith Master. But Dez wasn't about to let him drive the Gloomwalkers to their doom. 
this wasn't going to become a repeat of his score. He hesitated for only a second before slamming his fist into his lieutenant's chin, knocking him cold. There was a stunned silence from the rest of the troops as Ulibor slumped to the ground. Des quickly took away the fallen officer's weapons, then turned and pointed at a pair of the newest recruits. You two, keep an eye on the lieutenant. Make sure he's comfortable if he wakes up, but don't let him anywhere near the calm. To the communications officer, he said, just before dusk, send a message back to HQ telling them our mission is complete so they can start moving the main force into the valley. That will give us two hours to achieve our objective before they get here. Turning to address the rest of the troops, he paused to let the gravity of his next words sink in. What I've done here is mutiny, he said slowly. There's a chance anyone who follows me from here on in will face a court-martial when this is over. If any of you feel you can't follow my orders after what I've done here today, speak up now, and I'll surrender command to senior trooper Adana for the rest of the mission. He gazed out across the soldiers. For a second, nobody spoke. Then, as one, they all raised their fists and gave two light raps on their chest, just above the heart. Overwhelmed with pride, Des had to swallow hard before he could give his final order to the troops. His troops. Gloomwalkers! Dismissed! The ranks dispersed in groups of twos and threes, the soldiers whispering quietly to one another. Adana broke away from the rest and came up to Des. Olibor's not going to forget this, he said quietly. What are you going to do about him? After we take that outpost... They'll want to pin a medal on our commanding officer, Des replied. I'm betting he'd rather shut up and accept it than let anyone know what really happened. Adonar grunted. Guess you got it all worked out. Not quite, Des admitted. I'm still not sure how we're going to take down that outpost. This is when Dez realizes that the order must have came from one of the Sith Masters, and he was too much of a scared punk to say anything. He knew the order was wrong, but Ulibor would rather get his whole platoon killed than he would face one of the Dark Lords. But Dez wasn't going to sit back and let him get the whole platoon killed. It wasn't going to happen. He balled up his fist and he knocked the Lieutenant Cold out. Then he tells everyone that he had just committed treason and they would all probably get court-martialed if they followed him. I can picture it in my head now. A look of shock fell across their faces and their jaws were on the ground. I bet you could have thrown a grape and hit someone in the mouth without even trying. But then Dan starts barking out orders, getting them prepared for the mission. They get moving, they get busy, they start doing it. Adenar tells Dan that Ulibor isn't going to forget about this. Dan says that they will probably pin a medal on the lieutenant and he'd rather shut up and accept the medal than he would tell anybody what really happened. Honestly, I think Dez is right. I don't think he's going to tell anybody what happened. I don't think this dude to tell his commanding officers and the Sith Lords that one of his soldiers knocked him out with one punch. That would be the most embarrassing thing. Could you imagine how hard they would be laughing at him? Oh my God, that would be so funny. Just watching a group of Sith Lords rolling on the floor laughing. That would be like the best thing ever to see. But that's all we have for Chapter 6. You have to tune in to Chapter 7 to find out what happens next. Hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. 
Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.